Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you for your word and all that you're doing and all that you've done. God, be with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Uh, okay, well, a uh, few things to start. Uh, give you some recommended reading. I know that's what you're all on the edge of your seat for. Uh, in this season, I got two things and I got a bonus. Uh, one, there's a book called Jesus the King. I've recommended it a few times. This is like top three all time for me. So if you've not read it, you should read it. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, second is Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. Um, you can read this for yourself. Or, I'm telling you, we start, I started this with Georgia um, about a week ago, and we're kind of doing our, our track to Easter, and you know, this is like one of the most beautiful uh, fiction tellings of gospel truth that there is, and so uh, we've started doing this. This is going to be a tradition in our family, and so parents, if this is something that you want to do, there's a movie, but then also like kids love that story time at the end of the day, and I'm telling you guys, she understands like a fifth of what it is, but our, our job as parents is to form their imagination about the world, right? And so this is a, a great story that we can do this. And so Amazon Prime has it. They have the whole, you know, seven book box set, uh, and it's like 30 bucks, and you can get it in two days. So that's my plug. That's my recommendation. Uh, give us a quick thesis here. Uh, we're going to be in Mark 11. Uh, thesis is this, is that Jesus is the ultimate king. Everybody say ultimate king who follows through on his promises and is worthy of sacrifice and praise. Amen? Uh, today we're going to talk about the kingship of Jesus, and I'm going to try to be brief. Um, you know, we, we've been out, some people have been asking questions, kind of what's going on, how can you help? Uh, we've been out since Friday, um, helping in some of the neighborhoods. I'm going to call it Upper Levy, because I don't even know what else to call it. Joe, is that right? Okay, kind of... Levy Hills, uh, Indian Hills, yeah, as well, uh, in Sherwood. And uh, what we've seen is um, out in West Little Rock, there's a ton going on, um, areas of help. We've been focusing uh, on, on that part of town, uh, helping people get trees off houses and all those things. And uh, what, what we've seen and what we're going to do a lot of today is there are some families um, kind of in that Levy area that aren't as relationally connected. Um, and, and what you can see is that families that aren't as relationally connected don't have as much help. And so what we can do is we can go through and just kind of go door to door talking to people, asking them how we can help them. And we've got a link um, that will give everybody um, where they can uh, go in and help fill out the needs. And so at two o'clock uh, today, if you, if you want to be a part of that, we're going to meet at our Greater Little Rock campus uh, it should be called the Maumel Campus, but we haven't renamed it yet. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> the, the, the Little Rock Campus, it's up that direction. I'm not going to give them greater Little Rock. I don't know. I just don't like that. Um, <laughs> so 2 o'clock, uh, we're going to head up there together. We're going to get inf information, get mobilized, and uh, figure out how we can go out. And um, th there's a quote. Uh, it's not on the screens um, that, that I want to give you. It talks about koinonia, which is the, the Greek word for fellowship, it describes the unity of spirit that comes from shared Christian belief, convictions, and behaviors. When these shared values are in place, genuine biblical fellowship occurs. And I want you to see this. This fellowship produces our mutual cooperation 
in God's worship, in God's work, in God's will being done. And so that's what happens in these situations when there's tragedy. When the world's at its worst, the church is at its best. And this is a time where we can come in with shared vision, shared convictions, and uh, we, we, can, we can love our world. Amen? Uh, here's the tough thing. Um, as we go through life, uh, I think one of the, the most difficult things is that we get swept up in distraction, right? We have the most effective device of distraction ever created with us, and it's not your toddler. Uh, it is your cellular device, right? Um, hey, will you hand me a bottle of that water? I'm not going to make it through this story. Okay. Um, praise God. Have you ever gone to the grocery store and gotten a phone call or like been on a work call and been trying to do grocery shopping? Has anybody ever done that? Um, and you find yourself just like meandering around and it ends up taking you like an hour to get to the grocery store, you'll listen. Like, I'm a pretty systematic cat, okay, in the way that I work. So for me, like, when I, when I approach the grocery store, I don't go to the grocery store. I attack the grocery store, okay? Like, I know first I'm going to go through, I'm going to get my fruits, I'm going to get my veggies, I'm going to go around, I'm going to get my meat, I'm going to get my eggs, cheese, sandwich meat, whatever. You've got snacks, chips, then I'm going to go around the back end, I'm going to get my drinks, I'm going to hit uh, the self-checkout, and I am out of there, okay? That is my plan. But when I'm on the phone, if something is not there, I just like, it's like I get shell-shocked and I just kind of like wander around aimlessly, right? Because like your critical thinking part of your brain is taken up by the conversation and I end up staying in one spot way longer than I should. Y'all, that is what distraction does to the human soul. When we're distracted, places that we should pass through, we get stuck in. And that can look like a lot of different things. That can look like you get stuck in just thinking about yourself. We can get stuck in our materialism. We can get stuck in our worries. We can get stuck in our fears. We can get stuck in our hurts. We can get stuck in our offenses. And when we're not focused, when we're distracted, when we're not focused on what Christ has done and who he is, we end up getting in a holding pattern. And we just get stuck in places. Y'all, pain and tragedy has the incredible power to break distraction and to bring into sharp focus what really matters in life, right? We've all experienced this. This is why like when we go to a funeral and we lose a family member or a friend, we're like, I'm gonna change, right? Anybody else? You have those moments. And sometimes you can discount those moments. You can be like, oh, I was just emotional. Or you could say, hey, I had a perspective on the brevity of life and what's re what really matters, and you can hold on to what you learn in those moments. So here, here's what I want to submit to us this morning. Let's not waste this moment together. Let's not waste this moment when we see the reality of the brevity of life. We see the reality that our strong houses aren't that strong, right? When we see the reality that the American dream can come down in a second, right? We need a higher dream. We need a higher purpose. Yo, we have vision of what peace looks like in America. Let me lay it out. Peace looks like a six-figure income, right? It looks like 2.5 children, and it looks like a house that is on the way to being paid for. But here's the reality, is that as we navigate the brokenness of our world, that peace does not sustain. When the storms of life hit, 
right? It's not strong enough. So just like us, we're going to look at this together. Just like us, the Jewish people had a vision, a collective communal vision of what peace looked like. For them, I said this earlier, it was a Jewish king who was going to lay the stone-cold stunner on the oppressors, right? This is, this is what they're focused on. They had been living under foreign rule. Just imagine this. This is difficult for us. But they'd been living under foreign rule for centuries. They had been taxed to death. They had been abused. They had been marched off to other lands. They had been used and abused. And they were longing, like deeply longing. In the same way today we long for healing and restoration, they were longing for the inauguration of God's kingdom. And so in rides... A Jewish rabbi named Jesus who was a healer on a donkey. Okay, y'all, every time I read this, I just laugh. Like, just imagine a cat. Nobody looks cool riding a donkey. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't look at the guy on the donkey and think, that's the guy, you know? But if you go and you study Eastern culture, uh, a king being inaugurated on a donkey meant that he was a king of peace. And so if, if the king was going to ride in and make war, he would have ridden in on a war horse. But when kings were coming in to be kings of peace, they rode in on donkeys. And so there's another example in the scripture in Kings, 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33, of another king riding in through the valley into Jerusalem on a donkey. Let me read it to you. 1 Kings 1, verse 33, I think we maybe have it on the screen. Yeah, we do. Uh, it says this. It says, the king said to them, this is David, take Solomon and my officials down to the spring. Solomon is to ride on my own mule or donkey. There Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet are to anoint him as king over Israel. Blow the ram's horn and shout, long live King Solomon. Then escort him back here and he will sit on my throne. He will succeed, succeed me as king. For I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Okay, so for us, when we read this, we don't think, oh, of course, like 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33. I see that, you know? But for these people who the, the hope of kingship uh, being, being deeply ingrained into their hearts, into their culture, they did not miss this imagery. Jesus was saying, I am a king. I'm a king of peace who is coming. I'm a king of wisdom who's coming. I'm coming in the order of Solomon. He's like Solomon, but he's greater than Solomon. As you go through the Old Testament pictures, we're going to see consistently that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophets and priests and kings, but he is always the greater prophet, priest, and king. Amen? We did a whole series on that last March if you want to go back and listen to that. Um, Solomon was the greatest king in Israel's history. David was the most beloved, but Solomon was the greatest. Under Solomon, the, the temple of God was built. The kingdom of God was expanded. Foreign nations came to Israel for blessing and for wisdom, and Israel became a superpower in the ancient Middle East. It became the, the wealthiest nation in the known world at the time. But despite all of this, Israel fell and Solomon fell and the kingdom didn't last. Even in his great wisdom, he compromised. Solomon compromised. He took on concubines from all over the known world to try to build treaties and trust. And he did exactly what God asked them not to do. So there's a greater king needed. 
Here's what Jesus is saying in the triumphal entry, which we're celebrating here on Palm Sunday. Y'all still with me? Okay, good. Um, He's saying your dreams are fulfilled. The Messiah, the true king has come, and Jesus is declaring, I have come to rule. But here's where the offense happens. He has come to rule like no other king in history has come to rule. Why? Because he is not an earthly king. He is God becoming king. Let's look at this. We're going to dig into that here in a second. Jesus is the incorruptible Solomon. Where Solomon failed, Jesus succeeded. Uh, Matthew Westerholm said it this way. He said, Solomon disbelieved God and trusted in idols. Jesus never did. Even while suffocating to death on the cross, Jesus committed his spirit into the Father's hands. Solomon sinfully took for himself foreign queens to bolster his own status, but Jesus gave himself up for the bride, his church. Solomon was polluted by foreign wives. Jesus cleansed and sanctified his bride, that he may present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy without blemish. Solomon built a temple, but then he led his people to worship foreign idols. Jesus established a new temple, listen, let this blow your mind, inside of us. To lead us to worship God in the spirit and in truth. Solomon led his people down the path to exile. Jesus became the path to God the way, the truth, and the life. Solomon died just like David died, but Jesus rose from the dead to give everlasting life. This Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, what we're doing is we're coming in to celebrate the triumph of the second king to ride into Israel on a donkey. A quick aside on the palm branches. Um, there's so much like historical precedent for that, and so it just depends on the way that you want to read it. But what I think is interesting is in Rome, they had something called the Roman Triumph. And what the Roman Triumph was is this was a high honor that was reserved for just the most successful of generals. And what it was is they would have a day where those generals were exalted as deities, all right? And they would paint their faces red uh, like the King Jupiter, right? And people would wave palm branches at that king. And so those palm branches are a symbol of victory. What we're celebrating today is the inauguration and the victory of God becoming our king. Now, okay, here's what's interesting for us. Uh, As Americans, we don't super love the idea of being under a king. Can we admit that? Like, we don't, we don't have a king, we have a president, and he has balances of power, and he has all that stuff, and nobody rules over us but us, right? That's not exactly true. Uh, sh- you know, and even in our world, there's just not this, this monarchy like it used to be. It's like the Brits have the royal family, but they're mostly oriental, or not oriental, ornamental. <laughs> Sleep, deprivation. We love to watch their marriages and their life, and we just like, lot, like, like to watch them be wealthy. You know what I'm saying? It's just a funny thing that we like to do. Um, but we do have kings. We do have kings that we adore. Humans will always find someone to set up as a king. We have earthly kings, people we give glory to. They're politicians, financial titans, actors and athletes. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, our political candidate, depending on your persuasion. How many times have you thought 
If we could just get this person into office, everything will be okay. How has that worked out for us? It was the Kardashian family, right? It's never the Kardashian family. We give them our attention, our adoration, and even our affection. And we place some of our security in our hearts in these people. But, but here's, it, it's what the Bible just defines as idolatry. And what idolatry actually does is it poisons the well of our hearts when we give way in our hearts to things that will only devour us. They become idols. They become false kings. Tim Keller says this in the book Counterfeit Gods. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning, then I'll know I have value, and then I'll feel significant and secure. You know, what's interesting is, um, if, if you go back and you look at the Old Testament, uh, the way that God set up Israel was to be a true theocracy. Um, and so what, what God was setting up is not that they would have a man who was king, if you go back and you look at this, but that God would be their king. And so when the Israelites go to Samuel and they say, give us a king like the other nations have kings, we want to be like them. He's saying, God has chosen you to be set apart, and he becomes angry, and God says to Samuel, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me. And he, he gives the people what they want. What, what, what is beautiful in Jesus, and, and we're going to nerd out here, okay, and we're, we're going to get into a little bit of theology. I built this out earlier after worship, um, but what we're living in, this is my theological position. This is not going to get you into heaven. This is just how I process it, okay? So if, if you think about this differently, if your eschatology or study of the end times is different, you don't have to leave the church, okay? Um, <laughs> but I believe in something called an inaugurated eschatology. What does that mean? I believe that through the ministry, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, the reign of God has been inaugurated. And we are now currently living in the end times and we're waiting on the return of Jesus. So for me, I don't necessarily think about it like, hey, oh, suddenly we're in the end times. The way I interpret scripture, the way that I read it, is that we've been in the end times from the moment that Jesus ascended, and we're waiting on the return of Jesus. Now, what does that return of Jesus entail? It means that those who are dead, or those who have fallen asleep, is the way the scripture says it, will raise to life. They'll be given glorified bodies. For those of us who are blessed to be alive at the time, We'll be given glorified bodies. We're all waiting on that. Can I get a pray, get an amen from somebody? Um, and what it says is that we will rule and we will reign with Christ for all of eternity. And so we will be in these deep, oh, we talked about this maybe two weeks ago. We're going to be in these deep glorified relationships uh, where we get to uh, enjoy life the way that it was meant to be, hand in hand, walking with God. Okay, so I've, we, we built that out. Um, what does this mean for us? It means that if God is king, we're to give God our allegiance, we're to bow our wills to God, and we're to go out and we're going to spread God's kingdom. So he's the inaugurated king. So what we've been called to do is go out and be evangelists. All right, everybody say evangelists. So if you go and you study this, what evangelists did in Roman times is they would carry something called a gospel. And what this gospel would be is that Caesar has won the battle for you. They would go into these areas and they would say, hey, there was a great war and the battle has been won for you and here's the gospel. There's peace. 
because of what Caesar has done. So what they did in the first century is they captured some of this language and imagination. What they said is the evangelists go out and we declare King Jesus has fought the battle for you and we get to come under his kingship. So what does that mean? The gospel in essence then is not advice, it's news. Think about the implications of that. This is not self-help. This is not saying, hey, here's something new you can add to your quiver or something you can add to your life or something that's just gonna help you. This is news that the king is on the throne, that he will win the victory, and that his kingdom is spreading and you get to be a part of his reign of peace and of life and of joy. So point one is that Jesus is coming as God become king. Number one, Jesus is God becoming king. Number two, let's break out the implications of this. What does this mean for us? If Jesus is the king, then the call is for us to sacrifice for the king. Let's look at this real quick. Um, Mark 11, go back to Mark 11 too. Go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you're going to see a colt tied there. Uh, in the Synoptic Gospels, it says uh, a donkey tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Okay, why is that significant? It's not David's horse. It's not another king's horse. He is coming as God. He is a unique king, right? So God has become king. Number two, if God is king, what this means for us is that Jesus is the God king who is worth sacrificing for. Verse four, they went and found a colt. Tied outside in the street, tied in a doorway, and as they untied it, some of the people asked, what are you doing untying that colt? Okay, here's what's funny to me as I read this. Uh, we, we can conjecture a few different ways that this played out, but here's how I like to think it played out. Um, they're stealing a donkey. <laughs> like, we could, I could probably explain it different ways, but I think it's funnier this way, so this is how I'm going to explain it. Uh, I just imagine they're like, Jesus, like, go get me a donkey. It's going to be tied there, and go get it. And they're like, okay. They're like untying it. People are like, what are you doing? It's like, the Lord needs it. <laughs> I would, anyway, it's just funny. They answered as Jesus told them, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, here's what I want you to see. They threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. N.T. Wright says this in uh, his commentary on Mark. He says, you don't spread cloaks on the road, especially in the dusty, stony Middle East, for a friend or even a respected senior member of your family. Sorry, Grandpa. You do it for royalty. You don't cut branches off trees or foliage from the fields to wave in the streets just because you feel elated. You do it because you're welcoming a king. So what has God called us to do? If he is the God king, then he's worthy of sacrifice. The things that he asks us for, the things he calls us to lay down, our opinions, our secrets, right? Our vices, our views of how things go. We're called to submit all those things under the lordship of Jesus. And here's what's gonna happen. I wanna speak prophetically. I don't use that word very often. But here's what you're gonna see happen. As you walk with Jesus, there are gonna be certain things in your life that you used to do without considering that all of a sudden you're gonna to start to feel tension and wrestling over. 
as you do certain things, as you buy certain things, as you think certain things, as you post certain things, you're going to start to feel this tension inside of you. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. When you feel that tension, just open up your heart and say, God, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me right now in this? Is there something you're asking me to lay down? Is there something you're asking me to process differently? Because here's what God is doing in us. As we sacrifice, God is making us into something beautiful. He's making us into the creatures that he's called us to be, both as individuals and as a collective. He's cleansing us as his people. He's cleansing us as his bride. I've said this a few times, but the word repent is the most beautiful word, I I think, in in Christian vocabulary. It's when we get to say, oh my gosh, like this is out of alignment with the way that you've created me. God, I'm going to submit this to you because of your gracious love for me. Amen? So number one, Jesus is God becoming king. Number two, Jesus is the God king. It doesn't say that on there, but I just threw that in. Jesus is the God king who's worth sacrificing for. And number three, Jesus is the king who's worthy of our worship, or he's worthy of our praise. Let's read this last part. We're going to close here. Many people spread their cloaks on the road. So just like they laid their cloaks over the colt or the donkey, the people came and they spread their cloaks on the road and they cut branches from the field. They went ahead of those and they shouted, Hosanna, which is a really simple heart's cry, which means save now. They're saying, God, save us. God, deliver us. Hosanna. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. And Jesus entered Jerusalem, went to the temple courts, and he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany. Um, Most earthly kings promise peace, but end up bringing devastation. External kings but also like we talked about the heart idols, we'll call those internal kings. These are things that we set up and we store up peace for ourselves. If I just have this, or if this would just happen, or if I could just buy this or whatever, then I'll be okay. It feels good in the moment. Uh, I, heard, I heard one author said, he said, in the beginning, idols ask very little of you and offer you everything, but in the end, they take everything and they offer you almost nothing. Jesus is a king who is totally unlike every other king we will encounter. Most kings promise peace but bring devastation. Jesus is the king who promised peace through his own devastation. He didn't bring devastation on us. He brought it on himself. He submitted himself to the cross and destruction so that we could have peace and salvation. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus defies all of our expectations. Why is he worthy of praise? He is a king who secures victory through humility, who receives glory through surrender, through emptying himself of power and might. Through Jesus, he is planning to humbly die on the sword, not to come and wield it. It's through this laying down of power. This is the upside down reality of the kingdom of God. It's through laying down power and serving and dying for others that the power of God is unleashed in our world. 
And because of this, Jesus is the king. He's the name that is above every other name. Rome has fallen, if you haven't noticed. Rome is not the dominant power of the world. The Assyrians are not the dominant power of the world. The Germans are not the dominant power of the world. Sorry, Marius. America is now. But what does history tell us? It won't last. But the kingdom of Jesus is forcefully advancing throughout the earth to those who are humble enough to accept his lordship and his kingship. And so here's the question for us. I want us to reflect on this morning. What is it that is truly sitting on the throne of your heart? What is it? Is there anything that you'd look at and say, this is where I'm really looking for peace and security. This is where I'm really storing up salvation for myself. And what I want to invite us into is in the midst of this tragedy where we've seen the reality of our broken world. Is there anything that is sitting on God's throne in your heart? And I want us to just take a few moments here in worship. The worship team is going to come forward. And I just want us to pray as the psalmist David prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know me. See if there is any way in me that's offensive or not right. And lead me into the life everlasting. Amen. God's called us to pattern our life under the pattern of Jesus. Jesus is the king who rode in in peace and humility and laid his life down to serve others. Jesus says those who serve in my kingdom are the greatest. Those who are the most humble are the ones who are exalted. Let's just pray and take some time and ask that God would stir that up in us. Amen? You can stand all across the room. Oh, God, we're humbled before you. So we're going to take a moment, and we don't do this every weekend, um, but if you're in a place where as we're going through this, maybe culturally you, you would say like, hey, I'm a Christian, um, I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but you've never allowed God to come in and sit on the throne of your heart. Like as you've gone through this, you've realized like, what is my source of security? Like you're just shook. I'd love to lead us through a prayer corporately of just dependence and surrender to God. And what I want to encourage you with this is if you're, if you're praying this prayer this morning and this is fresh and new for you, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is going to rush into your life and it's going to fill your life and, and you're going to start to walk with God. And what I want to encourage you to do is if that's you, don't go through it alone. Uh, there's connect cards. We'll tell you about that at the end. You can fill it out, but I want to encourage you to connect with somebody. Amen? I want to lead us through a prayer of dependence. If you're comfortable, just pray out loud with me. King Jesus, I believe that you are God coming to be king. I invite you to sit on the throne of my heart. I believe that through your kingship, 
I will walk into life and peace. Right now, I lay down all my idolatry and my self-seeking. I want to know you. Come into my life and lead me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review. Things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, If you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.